So we're going to start a short three-week series today that I'm calling Fun with Family. Because family's fun, right? There's a lot of fun in family. Um, I'm not just talking about immediate family. I'm going to be talking about all kinds of family relationships, parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, being married, being single, all of that. We're going to be talking about that together. And the reason I wanted to talk about families is because families, as you know, make us crazy. <laughs> if we're crazy, it's because of our family, right? I mean, am I wrong? Um, we all have some family stories that are a little bit crazy. I'll just tell you a couple of mine. I can remember as a little girl, we would take many drives from Rochester, New York, all the way out to Massachusetts, where my um, mother's family was. And so that's a long drive because you're going across the whole New York State. And so my sister and I would sit in the back seat of the car, and we would spend time cornrow braiding our hair. Now, may I remind you that we were two little white girls in the north who knew very little about cornrowing hair, okay? So let me just say to you that it did not look good. <laughs> did not look good. Uh, and so we would corn, and it would be like all tight and then loose and then like sticking out weird places and we'd cornrow each other's hair, cracking up the whole time, doing this whole thing. And then after that, we would turn around in the seats in the back seat and lean over the back seat and look out the back window. Remember, there was no seatbelts in those days. So you could do that, really fun. And so we'd turn around, we'd be looking out the back, and we would make faces at all the people behind us with our hair like all sticking up. And we just, you know, we thought we were pretty classy is what we thought we were. Um, but that's what my sister and I used to do for long car rides um, and, and harass driving passerbys that were, that were driving past us. There were other crazier moments. Um, I remember the day that my sister came home from her sophomore year in college. Now, many of you have just sent your kids off to college. Imagine this, her, my, her sophomore year in college, she came home from break and had a husband, suddenly, whom we'd never met. We didn't ever have met him before. This created quite a stir in the family, as you can imagine. Um, but I thought it was cool. I was about five, so I thought it was really cool because now I had this like big brother and he was really fun. And he, I called him Tigger because he'd put me on his shoulders and he'd race around the house bouncing and I'd almost be hitting like the door jam. And you know, it was great fun. For me, it was no problem at all that she brought home this extra playmate for me. Um, but that was also a little crazy. There are whole sides of our family that didn't talk to each other, as I'm sure you understand. Sides of our family I never even knew existed for years because they didn't get along with one of my, one of my parents. Um, I even found out much later that there was a whole side of my family that apparently was connected with the mafia. Didn't know about that. <laughs> um, great, excellent. So, you know, I know I'm not alone. You all have your crazy family secrets, too, and all. This is the way families are, right? We have some really dark secrets in our families of abuse and depression and other things, but we also have tons, you know, tons and tons of these other things. The 14-year-old sister who got pregnant and wasn't supposed to, you know, at that age. And then there's the, the side of the family that y'all, you know, they're a little loopy over there. We don't know what's going on in the genetics on that side of the family, but they're, they're a little loopy over there. Or this one who went to rehab and no one was supposed to know, but of course everybody knows. You know, we all have these things in our family, don't we? And, you know, the, the hard thing is that families can often, they have funny stories, but there's also some painful stories in our family. And I know many of you have some painful stories. Some of us had a mother who, you know, we know deep down loved us, but couldn't ever show it because she was too busy drinking all the time. Some of us had a father who was trying to make us a man by, by criticizing every single thing we did to make it better, but we just felt constantly like we never could measure up. 
There's some of us who have a brother or sister who's always been jealous of us, and so one minute they're nice and sweet, and one minute they're cruel. Some of us have had aunts or cousins who just love to stir up drama, so anywhere they went, they'd start gossiping about everybody and create drama where there was no drama, get everybody all angry at each other. Some of you have grandparents who are always criticizing your parenting, right? They're always saying things like, that kid just needs a little smack, right? We all have these family relationships that are hard. But at the same time, as many troublesome and painful things that come out of our families, I think most of us can also recall some really beautiful things that come out of our family, some really beautiful relationships. There's that sister with whom you shared all your secrets and she always let you wear her clothes. There's that mother who was just always in the kitchen cooking good stuff. And she'd make you, you know, some cookies and milk and listen to your troubles, and she was, she was just there for you. Some of you had a dad who loved to spend time with you and teach you the things that he knows. He took you hunting or camping or fishing, and so he, he was able to pour that into you, and you just loved that. Some of you had a grandmother who, when everybody else was angry with you, she was praying you into the kingdom. <laughs> Hallelujah for grandmas praying their grandchildren into the kingdom. And some of you have some big aunties who just love to feed you lots of food and then they envelop you in big fleshy hugs and it's the best. <laughs> Family, you can't live with them and you can't live without them. Am I right? Amen? <laughs> and whether they were good or bad or a little bit of both, there's nothing that tests your patience like family. There's no one who can press your buttons like family. There's no one and no, nothing that tests the extent of our selfishness and sometimes lack of forgiveness like family. And so, you know, we, can't, we can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. I once told my kids, I said, you better study hard and work hard and save up money because you're going to need it for all the therapy you're going to need when you get older. And I think all of us could have used that advice. We all need a little therapy fund, right, to recover from our individual families. And so the question this morning is, why did God create families? If there's such trouble, if they bring so much chaos, so much crisis, why did God create families? I want to talk about that a little bit today. And the first reason is a very basic reason that he created families, and it was for survival. For most of human history, you needed a family to survive. You needed, at the very least, a husband and wife who would produce the children, and then somehow between the two of them, you could take care of the children and, you know, farm or do whatever you had to do to feed the family, right? You needed them both. And then as the kids would grow, you know, they didn't just go out and play. No, they came and they worked in the fields with you. You were, thank God, if you had a son, he could help you in the field. Thank God you had a daughter that could help you in the kitchen, churning butter, whatever it was. And so you needed the kids to then become part of the family and work in the family. And then as you got elderly and couldn't take care of yourself or couldn't work, you know, you went and you moved in with your children, right, who took care of you. And so that you could watch the little grandchildren while, you know, the parents were trying to make the whole thing. It was necessary for survival. There were no safety nets for most of humanity. Nowadays, we do have options, right? We have Social Security and pensions and assisted living places. Elderly people can live alone uh, like never before. Children get the luxury of going off to school and learning. They don't have to work in the fields. Most of you don't have a field your kid's working in. Uh, so, you know, they, they don't have to work in the field to keep it going. They can become a teenager and try to find themselves. You know, we have, there's a luxury here that we have today, but that was not, this is very recent. And so I think in a very practical way, God created families, first of all, to provide for each other. 
Scripture says in Genesis 2.24, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And we tend to think about that in terms of sex, but that's not the only thing that this is about. What this is saying is that husband and wife need to become a unit and work together if they're going to survive. It's true for survival. It's actually true also emotionally and spiritually as well. And so when relationships in a family are healthy, and I'm not just talking about the immediate family, but I'm talking about grandparents and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters, when they're healthy, there is a sense of pride and joy and blessing that comes from those families. And so this is, this is why uh, the second thing that God created families for is love and relationship. I love these two verses here. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Children are heritage from the Lord, offering, offspring a reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Our children born in one's youth, blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. So I love this idea of, you know, children's children are a crown to the aged, so, so for the elderly to have the younger, uh, you know, is a blessing. But also I love the parents or the pride of the children, that the children look to their parents and are proud of the parents. So there's, again, in a healthy family situation, there's a lot of joy and blessing that comes out of all the different relationships in our family. There's a sense of pride and belonging. My husband's family like to say things like, you know, you're a Graham. This is how Grahams do things. Like there's pride even in the name, right, of, in, a, in a healthy family. And this brings pleasure and love and pride. And this is why many of us make the questionable decision to go ahead and have more children. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Deciding to have a child is kind of a crazy proposition, all right? Um, you know, most of us do it maybe after a couple margaritas, so that's maybe why we're not thinking clearly. But here we make this choice to bring into the world this tiny, helpless thing who, that's going to cry and it's going to smell and it's going to take over your whole life. It's going to keep you from sleeping for years on end. It's also going to take all of your money. Don't think you're going to have any money left at the end of the whole thing. He's going to take all your money and create tons of aggravation in about 15 years when it's a teenager and becomes, you know, starts, starts talking back and doing all the teenage thing. And actually, it's going to be a source of concern and worry for the rest of your life. Nobody told me about that part. I kind of thought once they got 18, like, then you were, like, good and you are done. No, no. <laughs> uh, you're just as worried, if not more, after that. So, you know, why do we do this? Why do we do this crazy, illogical thing? All of you with the young children are like, what did I just get myself into? Uh, I think we're wired for it. We're wired for that love and relationship that family brings, this building of a family, bringing a family together. I remember a friend I had at work, this is years ago. He was from Iran, he and his wife, and they were in the States working, and she was at that stage where she was kind of bugging him to start a family. And so she's like, I want to have a baby and all this stuff. And he was dead set against it. And he used to talk to us in the office about it. And he'd say, I think it's irresponsible to bring a child into the world because there's so much pain and so much suffering and that child's going to suffer. And it's, a, it's, it's the least compassionate thing you can do. It's the most selfish thing you can do because we only do it because we want to have a child. But, you know, what we're bringing them into, it's just not fair. He says, I, it's not a good enough reason. I'm not going to do it. So he's very logical, had it all worked out. And we argued with him about the blessing of children, and he just wouldn't hear anything of it. You know where this is going. <laughs> a year later, he comes in. He's like, my wife's pregnant. 
And of course, everybody else is nice, and they're just like, oh, how wonderful. And me, I'm like, you know me. So I'm like, I got to get to the bottom of things. And so I go up to him later, and I was like, okay, so what about all that, like, this is not compassionate and it's selfish? What about all that jazz? Like, where'd that go? And he just smiled at me, and he just said, well, I just kind of wanted to have a family. <laughs> and that was it. Like, he had no good reason, no logic, no big, uh, you know. It was like, he and my, my wife and I, we just wanted to have a baby that was ours. And I was like, all right, all right, you, you know, you drank the Kool-Aid, that's it. We're all in it together, right? We just know. Uh, it's, it's in us. We can't help it, almost, to, to create and build family. And I think maybe God put some of that in us so that the species would propagate. It's probably a good thing. Uh, so we would continue to, to have humanity. But it's also how he's wired us. And I want to just say it's not that you can't have a fulfilling life without having a, a husband or wife and children. But the point is that we're wired for this family thing. Even if you're unmarried, never have children, you have aunts and uncles and parents and siblings and nieces and nephews. Like you're part of this, this family. And God's wired us for it. The third reason I think God created families is to reflect his love, and I think this is related to why we're wired for this, is because if you think about the Trinity, it's a family. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit is not the wife, like mother, father, mother, okay? You know, that, that's not theologically correct. But they're related, and it's interesting that God uses this terminology of father and son. So it's a family. that God himself is, is wired for relationship. That's how he exists, and we are made in his image. So we're going to be like him. and we're going, to, we're going to desire that. We're going to thrive in that. Families are meant to be a place like the Trinity that shows the love of God. And so right about now, about half of you are tuning me out <laughs> because you're saying, okay, this is all very nice in theory, but have you met my family? <laughs> My family's not a place of love and, and, and caring and re relationship. I mean, we fight all the time. We have all these problems. We have all this struggle. I've got all this pain from my family, right? So many of us are saying, this is all well and good for you, nice, perfect Christian families. Anybody got a nice, perfect Christian family? Raise your hand. <laughs> Nobody's got a nice, perfect Christian family. But we have a hard time understanding how this can be, right? And I'm sure that if we went around the room, every single one of us, could name at least one member of our family, probably more than one, who's driving us crazy right now, <laughs> who's difficult to deal with, who's unloving, who's very hard to love. And even more than that, I know many of you could share that some family members of your family have done you great harm, and you're still recovering from that. So we don't minimize any of that. But I, I do say that God must have known that would be how it would be. He knows everything. And he still created us to be in families. And he still created us to love our families. So I'm asking you not to tune me out here. We're just going to talk for a brief bit today about how we can love in our families, whether they are functional or dysfunctional, or a little bit of both. How, how can we love in a healthy way that doesn't cost us our soul, but allows us to bring light into darkness? Amen? So God gives us a little biblical direction on two, two main points he makes about family in the word. The first is about our parents. Honor your parents, he says. Let's read this. This is in the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ones, people. Uh, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that, your Lord, the God, that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the only commandment with a promise, they say, right? Uh, that it may go well with you. So it's interesting how important this is to God. 
honoring your father and mother. Now, this is different as a child than it is as an adult, right? As a child, um, you are meant to listen. Honoring your, your parents means to honor them by listening to them and obeying them. Parents are a rightful authority in their children's lives. And so they are, they are there for that. Children also have other authorities in their lives that they can go to if they have problems. They have teachers, and as we just talked about, teachers and Sunday school teachers and, and other people they can go to. But it's very different if you are an adult, right? As a father, how do you honor your parents as an adult? And if you had a very beautiful and loving relationship with your parents, it's not that hard as an adult, but if you had a tricky relationship with your parents, if there were some struggles and some stresses, then it can be hard as an adult to truly love your parents. I want to say something kind of hard here. God doesn't give us an out on this commandment. He put it in the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, honor your good moms and dads. He doesn't say, honor your moms and dads who were there for you every time you needed them. Honor your moms and dads who didn't have any alcohol problems. Honor your moms and dads who didn't have any personal problems of their own. Honor your moms and dads who stayed together. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, honor your father and your mother. Period. End of story. And so what does this mean, people? How do, how do we do this? Well, how can we do this in a way that's soul healthy for us? And I want to, first of all, point out what it doesn't mean. Honoring our mother and father does not mean that we need to obey them or do things the way they want us to. You're a grown-up now. I'm a grown-up now. We can make our own decisions. We should listen respectfully. Maybe they have wisdom, possibly. So maybe we should listen uh, respectfully. Maybe we should take into account what they're saying. But at the end of the day, you do not need to obey your parents. It's amazing how many adults I have to say this to. Because we're still under that, like, when mom says, you know, you gotta be, better be here for Christmas, or you better be do this, you know, like, we get, we're very pulled, we're very pulled. But we don't have to obey our parents. We have um, the Holy Spirit in us, we are an adult, we can act like it. We also don't need to live with them or have them come live with us. <laughs> it's not a requirement. <laughs> yeah, anyone else wanna clap? <laughs> I mean, I, let me just say this. For some families, it's beautiful, and it works beautifully to have mom or dad, they're elderly, come live with them, they've got a good space for it, they're not too sick, you know. Like, it can work beautifully if there's a healthy relationship there. It's beautiful. I, I don't take anything away from that. But I've known so many situations where out of guilt, we have taken in parents, and it's a disaster. Because all the dysfunction that was there as a child is still there. It's not getting any better. They're getting sicker. Um, you know, it's, a, it's awfully hard. I've already told my boys, I was like, I do not want to live with you when I get old, okay? Don't put me in, like, your third bedroom on the top floor. Like, I don't, I don't want to be there. I've seen enough of your dirty socks for a lifetime. I don't need to see any more. But I told my three boys, and there's three of them, so they should be able to manage this. I said, the three of you need to save up your money. So when I get old, you put me in one of those nice little assisted living places with a clean little room and a nice dining room and a bus that will take me places and then bring me back. And then you come and you visit and you bring the grandchildren. We'll be all good, okay? That's what I want. Um, because we, you know, I know that living with my own kids would be hard. Um, and again, your home is your personal sanctuary. So if you can bring them in and, and, and you can maintain that sanctuary and that soul health for yourself, great but that we don't need to have them live with us. And the third thing, maybe most importantly, is that honoring them does not mean we allow them to continue to abuse or berate us. We can put our foot down, we can walk away, say, Mom, I love you, Dad, I love you, but we're not gonna have this conversation right now, I need to go. 
and we can, put our, we can set some boundaries. I'll talk about that a little bit later, but we, can, we, we do not need to stay as a child anymore, okay? We're an adult, and we can walk away from that. But what honoring our parents does mean, however, is that we have to have loving concern for their well-being and do whatever we can to help them thrive. That's honoring. How can we care for them and help them to thrive in whatever situation they are, whether they're a healthy person or not a healthy person, whether they drive us crazy or not, how can we help them to thrive, honor them, care for them in some way? Maybe it means visiting them when we don't really feel like it. Maybe it means you know, providing for them in some way or having them to the house, whatever that means, but to, concern, to, to, take, to sit down with them, help them with their finances if they're struggling as they get older, whatever that means, it means to have concern and love for them. Are we doing what we should be doing for our moms and our dads? And I would include other elderly people in our family that may, maybe we have responsibility for. The second thing we must do if we're going to honor our parents, and this is a hard one, is we've got to forgive them and release them for all the mistakes they made raising us. And they made mistakes. <laughs> they sure did. I made mistakes with my kids. Like, they sure made some mistakes, some bigger than others, but this is for your good as well as for theirs because the longer you hold on to that unforgiveness, that resentment, you're not going to grow. I'm going to say something that I wish I had time to unpack, but I don't really. I'm just going to put it up there on the screen that you will never progress in maturity in life past the level which you have dealt with your childhood anger and pain. There's a little truth you need to just like sit on for a second. We won't progress. We will stay childlike if we stay in the childhood hurt and resentments. And so there's healing, people. This is what Jesus wants to do in us. He wants to even start that today. And sometimes God can do it like that, and sometimes it's going to be through a process of therapy but, but, and, and talking it through and praying it through with friends and, and people you trust. But we, we must process that pain and get it behind us and begin to forgive so that we can live. <laughs> so we can live. It's, life's too short to still be stuck in all of that. And finally, we gotta treat them with respect as people made in the image of God. It's funny how poorly we treat our family members, right? Ever think about the things you say, this is true for marriages too and family members, ever think of the things you say to your spouse or your kids? You think, what if someone in the church was here and heard me? Would you be like a little embarrassed? <laughs> Um, a little ashamed. Would we ever speak to anyone else in the church that way? No, we wouldn't. It, we just, for some reason, we treat the ones closest to us the worst. And so let's not do that. <laughs> let's honor our parents by treating them with kindness and with respect. And even if we don't do the things that they want us to do, we just still treat them kindly, listen kindly. So that's the first one, honor your parents, uh, honor your mother and father, so it will go well with you. It's for us that God gives us this command. It is going to give you such peace and such release in your life to do that. The second piece of advice he gives us, biblical training uh, guidance we have here, is to provide for your relatives and your household. This is those who depend on you. Let's read this from 1 Timothy 5.8. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Strong words again. God does not mess around when it comes to family. 
he says, you're worse than an unbeliever if you're not gonna provide for your household and the people who depend on you, your relatives. He opens it up to all those relatives. Um, how are you helping to provide for them? In those days, of course, a household might have included par- you know, parents, children, grandchildren, maybe servants, other people that lived in the house. So it'd be anyone who kind of depends on you in some way. So it's a wide net. He's saying provide for them. And this does not mean that you get to let your 28-year-old son sit, live in the basement playing video games, never get a job, and just mooch off you for the rest of his life, okay? It does not mean that. It doesn't mean that all your poor relatives who don't feel like working can just come to you and get money, and you can just give it to them all the time, all right? It doesn't mean all that. But it does mean are we looking to how we can provide, sometimes financially, but sometimes it's emotionally, support, to that our household, our children. We are meant to provide for our children as they grow. As the parents, we have to make sure they're cared for in their health, their souls, their emotions, um, but also for those others. You know, here's the thing. We're meant to be a blessing to our families. And I think for some reason when it comes to family, we, we back off of that a little bit. We, we actually go to family gatherings, and it's usually, we're much more self-absorbed, actually. Most of us, maybe it's just me, I, I, I doubt it. I bet you we're all a lot like this, that we go to family gatherings and we're thinking about, you know, how do I feel here? How are they treating me? And my sister's doing that thing she always does. And my mother's doing that thing she always does to me. And so we're, we're always thinking about how we're reacting to it. And so it's all about, you know, they're not meeting my needs, and they're, they're not nice to me, and they're not supportive of me. And I want to just say something to you this morning, that you have everything you need in Jesus. See, when we were a child, we needed all that support and love from our families. It would have been lovely if we got it. Some of us did. It still would be lovely as adults to have that support and affirmation from our families, but if we're not getting that, we don't need it anymore. Does that make sense? We're not a child anymore. We don't need it. We have Jesus, and in Jesus, you have everything you need. He loves you. You're made in his image, and he cares for you, and he's enough. If it's just you and Jesus, he's enough. He loves you. He loves the way he made you. He thinks you're beautiful and handsome. So you don't need anything else. We don't need to go into a family situation looking to absorb. If you get some help and some love, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But we can simply love. And I would add to that, we have Jesus, everything we need in Jesus, and I hope that every one of us has at least one or two people who are our people who do love us and who do affirm us, and who pray with us. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a friend you've met, maybe someone in church who is your person that you can vent to and who will pray with you. And if we, honestly, if you got Jesus and you got your couple people that are your people, that's all you need. And so then we can walk in to a family situation from a position of strength because we're able to just love. Am I making sense to anybody here? Let's, Let's do that. All right, I'm going to just go on then to this, this last section here, which is a little bit more specific how. How do we do this? Because it's all well and good. You're all agreeing with me here. Yes, yes, yes. But how? Because once I get there, it's like a switch flips in my brain, and I just go, I get mad, I get this, I get that. You know, how do I build healthy interactions with my family? I'm just going to give you a couple things, and this is a high, high level. But the first thing is simply to discover your triggers, get smart, and get healing. In other words, 
If every time you're at a family gathering, it ends with you and your dad having a shouting match about Donald Trump, then stop getting into a talk about politics with your dad. <laughs> I mean, let's get smart, right? If there are situations that bring out all the worst in everybody, then it's time to get up and go get dessert. <laughs> it's time to, you know, do something else, play with the grandchildren, whatever. It, you know, we, don't, we need to get smart a little bit and not keep putting ourselves in these places where we're triggered. But then you need to go home and ask the Lord, why am I triggered like that by my dad? Whether it's about Donald Trump or whether it's about you didn't, you know, do the career that he thought you should do or the, isn't doing what you should be doing with your kids, whatever it is that sets you off in the family gathering, we need to start to ask ourselves, why am I getting so triggered by this? What is it? What is lacking in me or what am I fearing? I encourage you very much to get a journal, make it a family journal, and put a family member at the top of each page and begin to pray through each person in the family, especially the ones you have a little bit of a more difficult time with, and begin to say, first of all, just start to write whatever comes to mind, <laughs> whatever drives you crazy about the person, whatever type of fights you get into with that person, but also how you feel around them and what, what they kind of bring up, stir up in you. Are you afraid of them? Are you feeling you didn't measure up to them? Are you feeling you wish you just could have gotten more love from them? Whatever it is, begin to just write it down and bring that to Jesus because he wants to heal that. He wants to start to work in that. You can have a friend pray with you over those, those pages so we can start to get healing. In some cases, you may have to go to the person and you may have to apologize for some things. So maybe that you'll have to make some things right. But let's Let's begin to get smart and recognize our triggers and then get some healing. See, when we start to recognize it and pray through it, we get healing. And here's what's amazing. When you get some healing, you can go back into the situation that used to trigger you and suddenly you're not triggered anymore. Hallelujah. If that happens in your family, all right, maybe this Thanksgiving, and, and you're suddenly not triggered about something that was triggering before, I want you to go into the bathroom and be like, hallelujah. <laughs> Just shout it. Because that's victory, people. That's what God wants to do in us. He wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. The second thing we can do to, to, to emerge healthy interactions is to set boundaries. And this is very similar to kind of what I've said before, set some good boundaries. There's a great book called Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. I think I may even have copies in my office of it. But boundaries are something you're allowed to set. Here's a good thing. As a grown-up, you and I can choose where to go, what to do, and how long to stay there. So if after an hour things degrade with your mom, then only stay for 45 minutes. <laughs> Just say, I gotta go, <laughs> you know, and have a nice visit for 45 minutes and don't push it. Set a boundary. If your children are mooching off you all the time and they never are thankful and you're just constantly shelling out money, just stop giving them the money. <laughs> like we can set the boundary. And yes, people don't love it when we set a boundary that wasn't there before, but it will start to protect your soul. It will start to protect your soul, and they will begin to respect that, and the relationship will get healthier. All right? Um, we, we don't have to be a victim to our families. We can be sensible and smart about our own soul. The third thing, and I'm going to go into this a little bit in depth because this is probably something new for some of you, is to understand your family's sin practices, uh, sin patterns, and it's to do a family genogram. Um, 
this is this one I'm going to show you today, and you can put up the first slide, is uh, adapted from something that Emotionally Healthy Spirituality from Pete Scazzaro comes, but I've changed it up a little bit. Um, but the idea behind a family genogram is to find out things about your family. So first of all, you have a little chart like this with you and your siblings, and your parents, your aunts and uncles, and your paternal grandparents. You probably can't go back much further than that. And then what you do first is you put on the next one, which is you put the names of the right so you put your names of your family in place and then here's the thing at this point what you start to do next to everyone's name is you begin to write what were the sins weaknesses and dysfunctions of that person now this can be hard this is just for you this is not to publish this is just for you and so you can put that up there um, somebody said there's not gonna be enough room on my sheet which I understand um, but for example alcohol abuse different things that could be sins weaknesses or dysfunction it could be alcohol or drug abuse it could be depression it could be anxiety it could be um, you know patterns of sexual promiscuity or sexual perversions there could be um, other things like a hot temper um, fears, perfectionism, high control. And so you start to write them in next to the people. I just did a couple just to give you an example, right? So on this side, you can see there's alcohol abuse, depression. On the other side, there's more anger, a little bit of alcohol abuse, right? And then this is what I've kind of added to it because it doesn't just stop with the sins. Also, virtues are passed down in families, our present families. So then I say, in a different color, put in the virtues. So we have faith and mercy. I just did two here, but you know, yours would be much more filled up with all kinds of things that you know about your family members. It can create some interesting discussions. I had a friend do this and she, you know, had to talk to her mom about like what, what were grandma and grandpa really like? Like why, why did grandma just disappear for months at a time? And she finds out later, of course, that she had mental illness and was struggling with that. So maybe mental illness is one of those things that would be on the list. So what's interesting about this process um, is that you're gonna find that there are patterns in every family. The sins of the fathers are visited on the sons. Or as Pete Scazzaro puts it, Jesus is in your heart, but Grandpa is in your bones. <laughs> you realize that some of the things that you're struggling with actually have roots that go generations before you. And you may also find that some good things about you have roots before you as well. The Lord, uh, Exodus 34, 7, the Lord is keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This doesn't mean that you're punished for the sins of the fathers. What this means is that the sins of the fathers will tend to pass down to the sons and the daughters and the grandsons and the granddaughters. Unless we stand against them, unless we get smart about what they are and begin to pray it, against it, begin to protect ourselves in certain ways above it. So this is a way of understanding ourselves better and praying better. We figured out, when Paul and I were getting married, we figured out that um, there's a lot of divorce in my family. That's kind of a, a pattern in my family. And so we prayed from the start of our marriage that we would be faithful to one another, that our marriage bed would be pure, that we would, and we, we have kept praying that. We didn't just pray it once, we pray it all the time, and we pray about our, our marriage, and we take concrete steps to make sure our marriage is sound and we're honest with one another. We know that that's a tendency. Um, on the other side of the family, there's alcoholism. And so that was coming down in a lot of Paul's family. So he's been extremely careful about how he handles alcohol because, again, knowing that that's something that's coming, you can be very careful about how you handle that particular situation. You can be aware of it, aware of our tendency. 
The other thing that this all does for us is to give us some compassion for our family members and why they act the way they do. Um, maybe gives us even a little compassion for the dysfunctions of our moms and dads, right, that we had to live with because they were caught up in the family current as well. I had a friend who I did this with and she, um, she found out through this that all, almost all the women married very strong men and so the women just constantly deferred to the men through everything. And so the women were always a little bit like crushed and, and not fulfilled really in life because they were always deferring to the very strong men. And she used to get so angry. She remembered as we were doing this, she remembered being so angry at her mom, you know, growing up that she'd always give in to dad. And the weird thing is that she found that she was doing the same thing with her husband. So she married the same kind of guy and the same kind of thing. So again, we replicate it without realizing it. Now she realizes it and is able to take steps. So, so it's just very... Um, very enlightening, and can help us have compassion. As a result, she had more compassion for her mom. The third thing that I love about this is that it helps us to see some of the good things in our families. There's another wonderful scripture in 2 Timothy 1.5. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. He's talking to Timothy here. Who, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Not only does family sin and dysfunction pass down, which we probably all know all too well, but so does faith and joy and hospitality and leadership and a peaceful spirit and a, and a, and a, and a faith-filled heart. All of those things also are in your family. And when you begin to look for that, it's so beautiful. We, I did a family tree years ago, and uh, I did Paul's side of the family, and I found generations back now recording, written recording of, of his great-grandfathers and great-great-uncles and all this stuff who were men of faith who served in the church, were generous in the church and loved people. And I was like, who does that sound like? You know, I was just, it was so cool to see that how it just passed down. It skipped a few generations here or there, but it was there and it was passed down. I love to think about the fact that grandparents and great-grandparents were praying for their offspring to come and you might have been the ones they were praying for. How cool is that? So this is a beautiful process to take. It can be a little intense especially if you have a sort of an intense family situation. So I encourage you to do this with someone. Um, I'm happy to provide you with the sheet if you want the sheet uh, to fill in, although you may need more room. But um, I, it's, it's such a freeing process to understand your family sin patterns and your family virtue patterns. The last thing I'll say about this, uh, how we can have healthy interactions, is to put on forgiveness and compassion and be realistic. Script, couple of great scriptures on this. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And then Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love how practical the word of God is. He first of all says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. That means people are going to need bearing with. Your family is going to need bearing with. You're going to need to bear with your husband. You're going to need to bear with your wife. You're going to need to bear with your children and bear with your mother and father and probably with aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews too. There's a lot of bearing we have to do because people are going to bug us and they're going to act in ways that aren't right or aren't good and so they're going to be, have to bear with us, by the way, too. And so let's, let's bear with one another, he says. This is part of any family. But he also says, if one has a complaint against another, forgive. So again, the assumption is you're going to have complaints against each other. 
He doesn't even say whether they're valid complaints or not, but he's saying you're going to have to forgive because that's how we heal. That's how we get to move on from those things. So it's very realistic. Um, And then I like the last one there where it says, you know, if it is possible and as far as it depends on you, there are going to be some family relationships that will never get healed. There are going to be some family members who will never reconcile, and there are probably some family members whom it's better that you not see. And that's okay for your own health, for your own soul. But as far as it depends on us, let's do what we can to to heal those relationships and to love. The last thing I'll say today in closing is that the church is a family for those who have no family. I know there's maybe some of you here today who have no family at all. They're like either passed away or they are you know, in such a state that no one's seeing each other and so you may feel very alone and there's a really sweet verse in the Psalm, Psalms that says this, God sets the lonely in families. And so I pray for you today that you would find Gate City Vineyard to be a family to you and that those of us that have families would be generous and invite in those who have no family into our gatherings, into our meals, into our homes, into our lives. And I pray that for elderly, maybe who are here, maybe you do have family, but you only see them once a year. Let us be aware of this, church. For people who are here, who live far from their families, maybe not elderly, but you just live far from your families, let's be aware, let's care for one another who doesn't have family nearby. God wants to set them in families. In all things, let us love. Let us love. I want us to pray right now. And I want us to just close our eyes. And I know as I've been talking that some family members have already popped to mind. (laughs) Maybe there are family members who have hurt you. Maybe they're just family members that are difficult to deal with. Maybe there's relationships that are very complicated. There's good stuff and bad stuff in them. And I just, I'm gonna, I want to pray this morning for release. Keep getting that word, release, and healing. And if that is you today, if you're saying, I've got, I've got a family that I, I want to, and a family relationship that I want to heal, I want to somehow get past my triggers, my anger, my pain. I want to get healed from that, and I want to be able to love them fully. If that's you today, I'm just inviting you to just come to the Lord with that. You can even come up to the altar. We're going to invite, I want to invite the prayer teams to come up as well. But you don't even have to get prayed for if you don't want to. You can. But you can also just come up to the altar and just leave it at his, at his feet. Begin to ask for, pray, for healing and for release, for forgiveness. up this person that's come to mind. Each one of us, let's just lift up this person. What do I need to do, Lord, to make this relationship right? How can I be freed from the childhood pain so that I can love better? And I can move on with my life for you. Let the Lord just 
speak to you. I want to just take a moment, let him speak. didn't connect with you and your father. It's affected your whole life. It's affected your relationship with Jesus and with God the Father. Come up. Get healing. Just sensing sibling pain, sibling strife. Maybe it goes all the way back to your childhood or maybe it's something new. I just pray. Come up. Receive healing. some of us there's mom pain we know they loved us but oh we're struggling with how they are acting now with how they still treat us come and get healing let Jesus touch that place have adult children that we're having a hard time with. They're struggling. They're not listening to us. We're having a hard time letting go. Come and release them. Come and get healing.
people that would like prayer, that need prayer, that are sensing something kind of twirling in your, in your gut. You're like, I know I need healing. I know that this is a hard place for me. And so I invite you to come up. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you to just do that chorus one more time softly before we kind of ramp it up. Um, come up or ask somebody right next to you just to pray for you. Let's Don't leave this place without starting to make a step forward in these hard relationships, in these beautiful yet terrible hard relationships. made. Let's make a step forward. Let's make a step forward. Let's just sing that one more time. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. dysfunctions or sins that may be before you, but I want to pray right now for 
that's to be cut off, the ones that we know about and the ones we don't know about. That God will begin to release us into freedom. And so I'm going to pray right now, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come upon the relationships and the families represented in this room, Lord. And I pray for each family, Lord, where you... You love them and you know each one of them. You know them better than they know themselves, Lord. And I just pray in each family where there are generational sins and curses that have come down from generations, whether of depression or alcoholism or drug abuse or suicide or sexual promiscuity or or anxiety, fear, control. We pray against it in the name of Jesus. We pray it would be cut off in the name of Jesus. Lord, you can do this, Lord. I pray it would stop here right now with the people that are in this room. Lord, we, we declare it done. Spirit of hatred. Spirits of racism. Spirits of divorce. Selfishness. Cut it off in the name of Jesus, Lord. We want no more of it in our own hearts, Lord. We, we offer our own hearts to you, Lord. Cleanse us. Show us, Lord. And we believe, Holy Spirit, that you are here. And you're going to do that work in us. By your love. Because your love never fails. You never give up. You haven't given up on our families, and you're not giving up on us. And so let's just sing that. Never runs out.
one of us would go forth today in your presence and in the power of your Holy Spirit to love, to love, to bring, find healing and to love. And so I just pray that for each one of us. We call on you, God, because you can do it. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you so much for coming. I want to remind you, outreach meeting, we're going to meet right in here about 10 minutes uh, and there'll be food and so on and also if you are wanting to get baptized please talk to me time's running out we're not going to do another one until the spring because it's cold in the water so um so come talk to me if you're interested